You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Visitors this morning and glad you made it. I think we've covered a lot in 1 Peter. We still have a little bit to go. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4. And if we go anywhere else, it will be in First um, Corinthians 3 there towards the end. So First Peter chapter 4 mostly will be there today. We've gone very carefully over it, and I'm sure there's uh, plenty of things to talk about that we haven't yet talked about in there. Um, uh, the best, uh, I was talking to Mark Underwood this morning, Brother Mark, as you know him, and he said that um, he's been teaching in another church and filling in for a pastor there who's been sick and different things. And he's been teaching a Sunday school class there. And he goes, man, when you teach Sunday school, you gain so much more than when you just sit and listen in Sunday school. To be, be able to teach a class, you just gain so much more because you have to put in a lot more effort, you know, and study and so on. But uh, I've really been encouraged by this, this book, First and Second Peter, because it's so about what's going on today in our world. Um, in a recent Bible study I was working on with Vinny, we worked on this thing, exhorting one another, and then that scripture this morning was an exhortation-type scripture, the, the Psalm 107. And the reason we need to exhort one another is because the whole, the whole purpose of preaching, a lot of times it, it's kind of strange to have been on that side and then to be on this side, so in, in the watching of, of a preacher or to be in the spot of a preacher or pastor is two different things. In the, in the watching of the pastor, we expect him to bring this, this deep word or something we couldn't have figured out for ourselves. But oftentimes we take that thing and we just keep it for ourselves and we don't, we don't proclaim it any further. But the idea is, is that the preacher preaches it. He heralds it, the word herald, um, like the, the town crier back in the day that would bring the news. He, he brings the news. But then back in the day, if, so if some of you got good news, you heard someone passed away or you heard someone got elected to president or whatever, you heard whatever good news, then you would go and tell other people about it. And we've become, as a nation, a people that receive good news, and unless it really relates to us and we can put it on Facebook and make ourselves look really good, we don't tell anyone about it. But the idea of exhortation, what we're going to see today in First Peter 4, is that we receive the word and then we tell someone else. Remember that song we just sang, Let the Redeemed of the Lord Say So. We read it in that Psalm 107, Let the Redeemed of the Lord Say So. You're not supposed to say so. You're supposed to tell somebody that you're redeemed, what it means to be redeemed. If you're redeemed, well, then you should tell somebody that you're redeemed. It should be something that you talk about. And so this idea of exhortation that's in the, the little Bible study over there, um, it needs to be remembered because in this day, the individual, each individual is assigned a ministry by God at the point of salvation, and each individual should be exhorting other people. And because they do not, what we've done is we've forgotten that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this present age, against spiritual hosts, that means a lot of, hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We think that the battle is between maybe conservatives and liberal people, Republicans and Democrats, blacks, whites, homosexuals, straight people. We, we've gotten confused to what the battle is. The battle is a spiritual battle much greater than, and, and it is pitting people against each other in our country and other places, but in our country in particular, which relates the most to us, 
and we're we're trying to battle against other men, no longer battling against flesh and uh, against principalities, powers, and spiritual rulers of darkness of this present age. We have gotten confused what our job is, and this exhortation thing is very important that we remind one another we're in a battle. We got to remind each other that all the time, and we forget who the enemy is. We think the enemy, whoever you like, we think the enemy is President Biden. We think the enemy is President Trump. We think the enemy is Nancy Pelosi. We think the enemy is Hollywood. We think the enemy is a person. But it's a spirit, a wicked spirit of this age that we're battling against. Now, as Christians, many, we have gotten very quiet in proclaiming victory over the evil one in the spirit. And instead, we attack other people. Man, I'm telling you, they're just like you are. They're weak-minded and weak-willed and, and weak-bodied. And to defeat a person is not to defeat the spiritual wickedness of this present age. We can, we can if, if, I don't care what I say, but if you were to go, if a person, a bad person, was to go up and assassinate the president, it wouldn't solve the problem of what's wrong with the culture, with the country. You haven't, Fix the country by assassinating one president or another or, you know, the other 400 and ever how many, what is it, 485 people in Congress, they, they probably all need to go. But the reality is if they all go, you still haven't fixed the problem because there's 550 willing to roll in there and make it worse. And so you're, we're not in a battle against people. We're in a battle against spiritual wickedness in this present age. I don't watch a lot of TV and I, I don't watch uh, news very much. I get a couple little news things, uh, a little news brief thing, like the highlight news items, about 10 per day, five days a week. And then a K, about twice a week, I'll look up Breitbart News or something that where it's got kind of all the articles listed together. And that's about the limit of what I can dwell on. I'll read through it and then, you know, maybe look at a, a, a you know, whatever, a, a comment or two about it. When I, when I see a group of people, I'm, I'm not trying to be crass, and I think you guys have seen it. I don't see any kids in here. so. Um, but when I see a group of people walking down the street, maybe you saw this, a lot of people were in states of undress, if not completely naked, and they said, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. Did you guys see this? This really happened. This is not the first time it happened, but people are more aware of this occurrence of it than previous occurrences. When you see that happening, you got to know for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. you got to know that the end of time is now. And as believers, you're going to have to accept the fact that there is a higher power, that is God the Father, that's in control of all things. And there's a higher wicked power, the prince of the power of the air, who's doing everything to defeat the spirits of God's people. God's people feel very defeated. But they're in this boat, we're in this boat because of a long time of weak-willed living, of shallow Christianity, of easy believism, or whatever you want to say. Um, it's, we're not in a, a battle, we're not dealing with rational people here. Rational people do not take off their clothes and walk down Main Street and make these kind of chants. Because when you threaten people's children, you're asking to get shot, Right? And it's one thing to say it, and it's something else to come to your house and say, hey, I'm going to take your children. Because if they were really bold, they'd do that, and we could take care of it, right? We would be able to handle it. But they really are 
the goal of the spiritual wickedness, the spiritual power of the air's goal is for your children. If you don't believe it, I don't know what to tell you. Because in one generation, um, 15% of people, 15% of people under 18 years old think that they're transgender now. Do you know what that number was like two years ago? 9%. Went from 9% to 15% two years. You know, what the year, you know what that number was 50 years ago? Not even 1%. So, yeah, they're coming for your children. And we continue to do the same thing. We send our kids to public school and let them do their thing. And then we let them watch whatever on TV and let them watch whatever movies. And then we're like, why does my kid think he's not a boy or not a girl or think he's something else? They're coming for your children. They are. At least they told you what they're doing. When the enemy tells you what he's doing, you should be able to better prepare for it, right? Knowing what the battle is, you should be better able to prepare for it. To see how our government is dealing with the border, um, you know, you can agree or disagree on the border thing. We should take in refugees or whatever. Yes and no. Because the people that are coming in do not have the same spiritual, political, moral ideology that you do. If they were all coming in desiring to make all people followers of Christ, bring it on. Come on in. They come in with the opposite view to let's destroy, let's break down the foundations of the godly nation of the United States. Okay, so, so okay, well, we know what the battle is, and now we can pray against those things. I'm telling you, it's a supernatural battle. It's not, uh, this is not a... Uh, one guy had a big idea and people are catching on. This isn't Hitler. This isn't Ronald Reagan with a, the New Day in America thing where he got up there and gave this, there's a New Day in America, and all these people rallied around that, and they said, oh, man, this economic thing, and, and he's talking about lowering taxes. It's not that. This has to be supernatural because it's worldwide, and it's a, actively working on the young minds of the world. So what do we do? So first and second Peter then, they're excellent books to search out in times like these. Remember that song, in times like these we need a Savior. In times like these we need an anchor. And the anchor is Christ. Make sure your anchor is attached to the rock, which is Jesus Christ. It seems crazy to me, hopefully to you, that people could take a baby at any point from the moment it has a heartbeat at least on, which is what, six weeks or something, four weeks? and say it's a good idea to take it out, to actually proclaim that it's a good idea to take a baby out, a living woman, take a living baby out, and just mash it to pieces and, and, and kill it. And they say, well, we should have every right to do that. And now they're saying in some states, they're making it where even after it's out of the womb from lack of care, if it wants to die on a table, that's good. You're not dealing with rational people here. You're not dealing with a rational mind. You're dealing with an unnatural mind. So if it's unnatural, it's got to be supernatural in the negative. It says in 1 Peter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. If you can't see that it's at hand, then I, you're, you've got your head buried in the sand. And I'm not trying to be ugly. Let's read this 1 Peter 4, uh, starting at verse 7. The end of all things, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, 
minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Man. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Like I said, it's this need for the exhortation of one to another. And this, a lot of times we see the word exhortation, we hear the word, and we kind of get in this negative sense, like I see sin, I see sin in your life, and I need to, I mean, we're, we're nervous about it. It's not, all, there is a point of exhortation for people that have some kind of sinful behavior that's obvious and is flowing over into their Christian life and affecting their testimony and so on. This is not that. This is the exhortation that encourages one another to finish the race, to remain faithful to the end, to remain loyal to Christ and one another, regardless of the actions of the things of the world, whatever you're seeing going on outside of the fellowship, outside of the world. We have to go out in the world. We're going to get exposed to the world. We're going to get the world's going to touch us and do things to us and harm us either spiritually, emotionally, mentally, or even physically maybe someday. It's not that. The, the exhortation is when we come back in the fellowship and, and we remind each other of the hope of his calling. When we remind each other that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. Maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, maybe at noon. But he's coming soon. And we remind each other of that. We remind each other that there was suffering of those much greater than us in the past. The prophets, the martyrs, Christ, all the prophets of the Old Testament the disciples, the early church, <laughs> the church fathers, the reformers. There's people who suffered way worse than we have. We remind each other of that. And then we say, man, we gotta, man, if they can do it, we can do it. We've got to remain faithful. If the Marine Corps did one thing, they were great at um, brainwashing you into believing that you were uh, related to every Marine that had ever been in the Marine Corps before you. They would call Archibald Henderson, the grand old man of the Marine Corps, 40 years as a commandant of the Marine Corps. You never even heard his name before. But we knew his name. That's Grandpa. Don't be letting Grandpa down. There was only, he took like 12 Marines to Cuba. And, and they talk about the, the war in Cuba and how they fought in Cuba. Like 12 guys, 14 guys. You know, and they're like, oh, we don't want to let those, the patriarchs of the Marine Corps, we don't want to let them down. Or Dan Daly or Smedley Butler or, or whoever. Chesty Puller, that's right, that's right. One guy knows Chesty. You're supposed to pray, thank God, and pray and, and bless Chesty Puller wherever you are. Yeah, 
they, they did a good job of reminding us who had gone before, who had paved the trail to make it a good thing and a prideful thing to be a Marine. And we should do the same thing in our exhortations. Remember Augustine. Remember Martin Luther. Remember John Calvin. Remember John Huss. Remember these guys that, that did these things that, you know, lost their wealth and lost their livelihood and, and lost their friends and in some cases lost their lives. The Wesley brothers or whoever, George Mueller or whatever, these, these people, or Brother Young or Brother Andrew or whoever. And we remind each other that so that we'll remain faithful, so that we'll be encouraged, so that we'll keep going. The nature of the believer should be completely different than that of the worldly man. If you remember the prodigal son, so the prodigal son, he, he grew up in a, a godly home. He had a good father, right? In his own desires, he went to live in the pig pen. When he gets in the pig pen, he recognizes that he doesn't belong there. He's not a pig. He's a man. Not only that, he's a wealthy man. He's from a wealthy man. He's in the pig pen. He's eating pig food. He says, I'm not a pig. Why am I eating pig food? I need to go dwell where men dwell. I need to go back where my father is, and I can dwell with my father and eat people food. He didn't care for the pig pen because he had the nature of man and not the nature of a pig. And the Bible says, let, now let that mind or that thought be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. If you have the mind of Christ Jesus as a believer, and here you are um, living as a pig, then something needs to be awakened in you, and you need to come to your senses and realize, I don't know why I'm eating pig food. I need to get back and get in with my father. Many people in our cultures that would claim to be Christians over a long period of time have lived as pigs, and once, twice a year, maybe they show up at church for Christmas or holidays or Mother's Day or whatever, and assume that that's going to get them in good stead with the Father or maintain their Christianity or whatever, they, whatever their assumption is or that they're saved in that. And the reality is, if you're living as a pig and you have no desire to live in any other way than a pig, you better inspect yourself to see if you're of the nature of God because you live in as the nature of a pig. Do you really think that a child of God with a new heart and a new nature, do you really think that he can go on living in sin and not feel conviction? And it's, the, it's not about eternal security. Well, you're, you're saying you can lose your salvation. I'm not saying anything. I'm saying if you profess Christ as a believer and you see that the end of all things is at his hand, why are you still living in the pig pen? Why are you still trying to live like the world or get along with the world or blend in with the world though i'm if you can't look at the world and see that the world is very far from what what i grew up with and put, you know some of you older than me but mo, you know many of you younger when you see that it's changed that much in charles is only what 33 in his lifetime what's it done in the last 33 years there was no naked parade people then people would have been arrested if they'd have said that, people from the sides of the roads probably would have drug them into the alley and, and beat them half to death. And now parents take their children and go watch the parade. The end of all things is here. Peter was saying that 2,000 years ago. Christ was telling him it was the end of an age. It was the end of an age. It was the end of the Old Testament age. And it brought on the New Testament age. And he was telling Peter, warn these people, Peter's in a culture very much like ours. 
in that Corinthian culture, you know, we've talked about it, how wicked is kind of uh, a cross between New Orleans and, and Las Vegas. I mean, it's just wickedness in, in every way. And yet believers were set apart in that culture. You can still be a set-apart man or woman, child of God, in that completely rotten culture. You can, but what you got to do is let that mind, let that thought be in you that is the mind of Christ. Because if you don't develop the mind of Christ in you, then what happens is the way of the world sweeps you away, and you end up, we got these churches that are, you know, actively flying the, the pride flag and all these things, and then actively inviting those people in, and actively having those people have a major part in their service, and then actually filling the pulpit with these people that are absolutely contradictory to the Word of God. And it's, it's where we're at. We can get swept away in that with this false feeling of, of empathy or mercy towards people that are, are mentally ill and, and think that this transgender thing is a real thing in their life or whatever. They obviously have a mental disability in some way that they can't figure out who they are. It's tragic. It's, it's sad that they're that harmed. However, when you have the mind of Christ, uh, you have to identify what that is and you have to separate yourself from it. You can't accept that. You can't go in that flow and assume that your Christianity is going to rub off on them. You have to set yourself apart. If they're going to live as pigs, I mean, there's a place for pigs, and it's the pig pen. Let them be there. But you don't have to go hang out in the pig pen. So if you're living in sin today and you're comfortable with that way of living, you need to ask yourself, am I really saved? And I'm not trying to question your assurance of salvation or anything like that. I'm just trying to help you to wake up. Like I started with, as a pastor... I'm exhorting you, I'm encouraging you. I'm not just trying to beat you up so that you go out with your head hung low um, um, and, and emotionally beat down where you can't, you can't function. Oh, I'm a sinner and I can't function. Um, you know, you remember the, the scripture about the potter, I'm the potter, you're the clay. So the, potter, so the clay is a soft, malleable form, right? And the potter has the control over the form. And many of us have this sin or wickedness or whatever we've done in the past, right? And we think, well, I'm so ruined that I can't be used by God or accepted by God. But he's the potter. He can remake the thing. He can remake the vessel. He can reform you, conform you to the image of his son. He can smooth out the bumps. He can reshape you. You could reshape yourself by eating less. He can reshape your spirit by by forming you, conforming you to the image of Christ. And if he forgets your old shape, you should forget your old shape too. You've got to put the old shape behind you and begin to walk in the new shape. If he reforms you into the new vessel and you willfully, in your own will, sit there and flop around. Have you ever seen him make the stuff on there and then the stuff gets out of control and gets all wobbly and just blows apart? You can do that to yourself. You can remove yourself as best as you desire from the potter's hands and just let yourself flop around on there like a, just a big pile of mud. Or you can allow him to reshape you. But you've got you to gotta leave the worldly part behind you and begin to seek him with your whole heart. You say, well, I have sought him with my whole heart. Well, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not questioning you, you particularly, whichever one my fingers are pointed at. Whichever one you are, I'm not questioning you and your, and your spirituality, but I'm telling you that the church over a long period of time has moved far away from God and that's why he's going to have to begin with judgment in his own house because we've moved far from him. 
many Christians living as pigs in pig pens instead of living as redeemed men of God. So a person with the Spirit of God, the mind of Christ, he should long to serve God and not himself. And you can you can look at yourself and and especially maybe maybe you gotta look back a little further than just say the last two weeks. Maybe you had a bad last couple of weeks. Everybody nobody hits, you know, five hundred all the time. Sometimes they hit a slump and they're only hitting zero to one fifty. And then they move their way back up and start hitting a little better. Maybe you had a bad couple of weeks. Go back five years. Am I still living the way I lived five years ago? Am I still thinking the way I thought five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Am I still thinking the way and living the way and acting the way I lived before I was saved, before I professed Christ? If so, you better be careful. Because I don't think you are what you think you are. I think you have conflicted yourself. You've, you've built scar tissue on your soul by repetitive sin and the same things with no desire for change. And when that happens, you're like the clay, like I'm telling you about. You're all beat apart and, and flung apart, and you're not allowing the potter's hands to squeeze you and mold you and shape you. It shouldn't be the way of the man or woman of God. Peter's very specific about sin. First Peter 4, verse 3, it says, We've spent enough time, we've spent enough of our past lifetimes in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regards to these things, those from the past, from that 5, 10, 15 year ago, you, um, they're going to mock you. They're going to, they're going to, um, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. They'll give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They're going to give an account, but you're going to give an account too. So if I'm still living, in the lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. If I'm still living that way, but I'm professing Christ, then I've taken the power of God out of my life. And I'm trying to do it myself. And that's why you're beat up. Or that's why you're trying to say, well, I did this much bad stuff over here. I need to do, you know, some little part of goodness. Maybe I should, you know, go on a mission trip. Or maybe I should go, you know, work at the rescue mission one time. And then I'll feel better about all this bad putting the old things behind me and striving towards the new. But one aspect of it is putting the old things behind. And it's really wounded us as a, as a, as a church, not this church per se, but in describing the way of the Gentiles, there is exhortation in that. Am I still living the old way? Am I still living like when I was the day I was saved and then maybe I was baptized or I had some other thing attached to that and I began to go to church for a while but then I began to slip away I began to not read the word I began to not pray in any kind of consistent manner I began to just reject uh, uh, the uh, fellowship of the believers if I've done those things and now my life looks like it looked before I was saved in the first place you need to go back and read Hebrews there's a sufficient amount of blood for the for the sacrifice for all men but it is not good to trample the blood of God underfoot to say that I live under free grace and I can live however I want and, and, and just live like a low-down, dirty dog and still be saved. You need to be really careful. Really careful. It's just part of this exhortation, not in a negative sense, but we remind each other. Uh, we were talking, some of the guys were talking the other day, and, and one of the guys told kind of an off-color joke, and he, immediately he got in the car and he sent me a text. He's like, man, I'm really sorry. I don't even know where that came from. It's still in there. 
It's in there because you're a fallen man and you're full of dirt. You're made of dirt and that's what you are. But when you do, the man of God, he repents immediately because he wants, he doesn't want to lose that closeness with God. When if you're still falling into that same old sin, same old sin, and, you're, and you can't figure out why, are you doing anything to counter it? Are you listening to the word of God? Are you meeting with other believers? Are you praying? Are you reading the Bible? Are you filling yourself with his spirit? Or are you just filling yourself with the world? If you fill yourself with the world, guess what? You're going to look like the world. So it's just this encouragement of one another in positive spiritual things that lead to a changed way of thinking for both the person being exhorted, uh, the exhortee, and for the exhorter, the one who's reading the book and is like, I see this pause. Me and Alva are pretty good buddies here. And I see these positive gifts on Alva. Most of the time, there's a lot of heckling going on. But when we're being loving to one another, he's like, man, I really like that you do this well. And I tell him, well, I really like that you do this well. In that exhortation of that, then that person is energized to do what they do, whatever their spiritual gift is, well. Different people with different gifts do different things well. Um, some people are more generous than one another. We enable the generous person we flow more money into the generous person so that they can flow more money out. Some people are more hospitable. We flow people to the hospitable person so that they can be encouraged and developed in the hospitality of that person's home. Some people are more servant-oriented or more, uh, whatever, administratively oriented or whatever your thing is, and we flow people to that. It doesn't have to be your gift, but you can flow people that are bumping into you and I do that a lot. People think I'm a magician. All I do is I figure out people's gifts, and then I flow people towards them, and they're like, oh, man, that's amazing who he knows. I, don't, I just recognize the gift in the person, and if I'm not gifted in that way, then I send that person to the person that's gifted in that way. I am not, I, I hate to admit it, I wish I was better. I'm not that great of a counselor for people. I can come up with one good word here and there. Jimmy Baldwin, you need some counseling? That's the guy right there. Our old girl at... Uh, at the Crisis Pregnancy Center, Sherry Nichols. Man, you you got you got lady problems, kid problems, family problems, marriage problems, abortion in the past, divorce in the past. Sherry will, you'll be on her lap. She'll have you huddled up, cuddled up. She'll be speaking the truth to you, and you'll come out of there ready to kick tail. She'll have you motivated and ready to go in the right direction. She'll, she's got it. I don't have that. Um. I'm, I'm not that good at that. But other people are. I don't have to be good at all that. I just have to be good at the part or as best I can at the part that God's called me to be. I've told you guys, I know there's better preachers. I guarantee it. I've been in better preachers' churches. You go there and you're like, man, I'm pitiful. I appreciate you guys putting up with me. This is the best. I just got to use the gift that I can do and in serving people, and that's what I do. And I'm, I'm somewhat generous sometimes. So if you catch me on the right day, I'll be generous. But the reality is there's other people that are better at those things. And so if you recognize those in the exhortation thing, flow the people towards those people that are gifted in those things higher than you. But for you, minister in the gift that you have. He tells us to do that, uh, beginning there in verse 8. Minister to people in those gifts that you're good at. Use it up. You've got plenty. There's plenty there. God will keep supplying uh, your needs according to his riches and glory. But be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer, it says in verse 7 there. The end of all things is at hand. We can see it. Jesus, when he took the disciples to the, to the garden, he says, watch and pray. 
if the if the disciples were obedient and kept their eyes open instead of falling asleep, staying awake for fire watch for their their stint at fire watch, then they wouldn't have been able to slope up on Jesus and take him so easily. But they were asleep where they should have been watching. If believers would watch and pray instead of going along with the flow, woe is me, all the country's falling apart, whatever. It says what to do. It says be serious. Okay, this word serious, it means intellectual, uh, intelligent. Be an intelligent Christian. Christian. Be an intelligent Christian. Be serious. Be sober-minded in the King James. Be sober-minded. Um, be intelligently minded as a believer. I don't know what to pray. Well, look around. They're coming for your children. I guess you could pray about that. Look around. They want to abort babies. They want to kill children for no reason. Um, we're at a place of, of unsustainable birth rate now. Went, went over uh, uh, two children per family now. It's like 1.8 or something in the U.S. It's got to be like 2.2 for just replacement cost of, of total number of kids. People aren't having kids. More black babies killed in New York, in the counties in New York and New York City, than are born alive. I, I, you could pray about that. Or you could go do something about it. You could go minister to those people. You could go beg those women not to kill their babies. You could go down there and evangelize the, the black brothers and tell them, you know, get one woman and marry her and raise the children in a, in a God-fearing way. And we could fix a lot of those things. We haven't been watchful. We haven't been active. If we know that the end of all things is at hand, and it sure seems to be, then maybe we should be bearing down in fellowship and in worship and in prayer, in sober-minded prayer, intelligent prayer, praying towards actual things. The things that are out of our control, we hand them to God. The things that are within our control that God's given us a vision for, we should act on. It's easy enough to do. It says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. Love will cover a multitude of sins, verse 8. The thing that fixes problems in churches and in families is keeping your mouth shut. We all have sin. We all have shortcomings. We all have flaws. But the bitterness grows when we tell somebody else. It grows in ourselves and grows in that person. When we tell someone else about the problem we got with this person. And then the bitterness grows. It grows in that person. It grows in you. And it grows in the person that you told. Uh, what, a friend of mine growing up, um, one of another friend, started telling me what a low-down guy he was and how he was lazy and sorry and whatever. And before long, I didn't like him. And we were, we were buds. Because the bitterness, the negative thing grew in me. This guy had no idea that I was growing detached from him because of this other person's negative words that came in and it was reflected back on him. I'm no psychologist, but that's how it works. It's very obvious. Love covers a multitude of sins. That, that one in Proverbs about a wise man keeping his tongue, not telling all that he knows. You don't have to tell everybody all the sins you know about other people. Truly, I'm a terrible secret keeper. If you got really nasty stuff, don't tell me. You got really terrible sin in your life, repent, tell the Lord, tell him, don't tell me. I know it makes you feel better when you get it off your chest. It makes me feel terrible. Don't tell me. If you're into super weird jazz, don't tell me. Repent. Go get help. Don't tell me. Because I'm going to have to tell somebody. Alva's going to know. We're going to be driving around and laughing about it. So don't tell me. That would be best. Mm -hmm. that, we, we don't need the Pope. We confess our sins to him. Christ fixed all that. We, don't, we got an intermediary. We don't need the Pope. We don't need a bishop. We need Christ. If we have Christ, we got all we need. We confess our sins to him. 
If we have the potter, we tell the potter, remake me, remold me. I'm, I'm a mess. And he says, okay, come here. And he makes you again. He can fix it. You don't have to tell me. Don't tell me. Please don't tell me. So what insight will an intelligent Christian have that an ignorant one will not? Titus 2.13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, if the end of all things is at hand, then one of three things is going to happen. Number one, you're going to die. Number two, you're going to wish you're going to die because the country is going to collapse. Number three, the rapture is going to occur and you're going to be taken away. So one of them three things is going to happen. And you're going to fall into one of those three things. The end of all things of your life is at hand. It's very short. Our life is very short. The, the Miller boy, he was 25. You don't know. You don't know what, what takes your life. You don't know. Maybe you die at birth. Maybe you die at 25. Maybe you die at 85. But you're going to die. Knowing that, and as you all know, that time speeds up as you get older, um, you need to be serious and watchful in your prayers. And then you need to work on these things with the body the love, fervent love for one another. Be hospitable to one another. I understand not everybody wants Joe Blow in your house. My house isn't that clean. You know, the ladies always say that. Just clean one room. Invite them into that room. Don't let them in the rest of the house. Clean the front room, whatever room, and then put a, one of them Chinese curtains up or something where they can't see the rest. And then bring them in and speak the word to them, to your neighbors, to your children, to people at church. We've lost that in our fellowship over the years as, as churches have gotten, uh, you know, really a, a really a thing to get together and really um, fellowship with one another and then the next things it says is to uh, minister your gifts in verse 10 as each has received a gift minister it to one another all you guys have good capable spiritual gifts but many of you are are like Gollum and you've got my precious there and you're keeping it all to yourself and it's not designed for you if you have the gift of music, you know what? It's not designed for you. Sorry, Emily. It's designed for us. It's so that you can share your gift with us. If you have the gift of administration, it's not for you. It's for us. If you have the gift of helps, it's not for you. It's for help. If you've got the gift of service, if you've got the gift of hospitality, it's not for you. It's for us. It's for us. And so you need to use it in accordance to the measure it's been given to you to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's an unlimited flow. It's an unlimited amount. It's poured out in five-gallon buckets. And when you can't take any more, he stops pouring. And then you use somebody, he pours some more. And it should be flowing off you all the time, like the, the holy old Holy Spirit idea of it's dripping off you. And other people should be able to see where you've been. If, you're been. if you've fallen into the swimming pool and you're completely immersed in water and you get back out, other people can see where you've been because it's dripping off you. If you're filled with one spiritual gift or another, it should flow off of you onto other people. It's not just saved for Sunday morning between 9 and 11. It's for always and for all. And then it says, verse 11, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone speaks, do you speak? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You talk about all kind of jazz. Speak of the oracles of God. Speak of things that are good and uplifting and positive and encouraging and building up and and edifying that's what build edifying means building up it says don't return to the way of the gentiles 
if my spiritual gifts are obscured by my natural way of living, something's wrong. You know, if I watch the world, I really will. If you know, people are gonna. This, this is a truth. You don't know this. I'm gonna tell you. This is a deep truth. You never heard such. People are gonna take advantage of you. That's just how it is. You know that, but it ain't yours. It's God's, and there's an unlimited flow. Let them take what they want. Um, some people said I, I let people run over me. Well, take what you want. It's not mine. It's God's. He gives it to me. And I'll give it to you. And when I run out, I'm out. And you should be the same way. It's hard. It's hard for us because the world tells us to to take me time and take and and there's me time and there's me money and there's me vacations and there's me stuff and and it's for me. And the Bible says it's for God, and He gives you gifts that you may minister them to one another. So each of us having a spiritual gift, and we should be pouring it out on other people. And the ongoing exhortations of the body, reminding one another of the battles that we face, but also the victory that belongs to God, they keep us faithful, they keep us motivated to continue, even if people take advantage of us, even if people beat us down, even if people emotionally abuse us or or mock us or, or give us a hard time. But no matter what, do not return to the way of the Gentiles. Don't do it. There was nothing there. You're not a pig. You're a child of the Most High God. And you should live that way. And you should be, if you have pride in anything, that's what Paul says, have pride in this. That Jesus died for me. Do you know how low you are? And Jesus died for you. Do you know how low Dale was? He's lower than you are. And he died for me. He died for you. And knowing that, so verse 12 is where it gets a little sketchy. And we don't like to read that. But it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings you know negative things happen to all people good and bad saved and unsaved however the lost is watching the saved to see how they will react to the negative things that assault them um, I went to my friend's house I don't know maybe some of you guys know him the guy used to have a starter shop in town Eddie Robbins he is sick, sick. They've cut both of his feet off, both of the toes off to just about where your shoelaces end on your shoe. So he's like walking on stilts all the time. He's real wobbly. He just looks like a skeleton. He's the nicest guy. And I was talking to him about it the other day. I went to visit him, and and uh, and he said, man, I, I don't know. I, he said, I've never felt so alone. He's a believer and so helpless and just so pitiful. He goes, he goes, and you know, I, I believe in God. God must just have some thing that I haven't learned yet. You think you got suffering? I'm telling you, well, this guy's had Crohn's since he was a teenager. Now he's about 60. And he's pitiful. He looks like a skeleton. His thigh, I could put my fingers around right there, right above his knee, my, and my fingers would touch around his leg. He's like a skeleton. He's like, I wish I could just die. The, the worst suffering that you've endured, you haven't endured that. The worst suffering that you've endured we, in the loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, or the loss of a home, or financial ruin, or whatever, it says this kind of suffering right here, this is going to be worse. But it's going to be because you're a believer. If you're a believer in Christ, you're going to entail some form of suffering 
that's going to make you prove your loyalty to Christ. And if you're still walking in the way of the Gentiles, you're going to have a really hard time holding up under this kind of pressure right here. It says, Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Verse 13. Go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Jesus is really trying to encourage his disciples. They're about to have this last supper together, and we're going to look at this right now as we go to communion. And he's trying to encourage them, and this is how he encourages them. Matthew chapter 24. Verse uh, 5. Matthew 24, verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning. And they'll deliver you up to a tribulation and to kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended, and they will betray one another, and they'll hate one another. Is it like that today? Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Is it like that today? And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Is that like today? But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. This is happening now. The love of many is, it's beyond grown cold. It's an iceberg. It's nothing. There is no love left. In the book of John, chapter 17, sorry, in chapter 16, he gives us another exhortation. Now I go away, John 16 and 5. Now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things you're, to you, your sorrow has filled your heart. I tell you, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's for your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 13, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. Verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The only place for peace, the only place for, for comfort is in Christ. Yet we continue, even as Christians, to look for some kind of peace and comfort for the world to offer, for something to change politically, you know, whatever, um, culturally or something. It's not going to change. Because men in their natural state hate God. 
But the believer in Christ remains loyal to God. He no longer dwells in the pig pen, but he walks uprightly as a man of God. And so in a time uh, like ours, we've got to remember what it says there. In me you have peace, and in the world you have tribulation. And it's really hard for us to connect those two things because it causes a conflict in our spirit. When we get conflict in our spirit, it causes stress, causes anger, frustration, whatever. And so what we need to do is we've got to get our focus right. We've got to know this verse 17, the time for judgment to begin at the house of God has come. It begins with us first. We're going to get spanked because we were a part of it, because we weren't studious and intelligent in our prayers. But we've got to know that he sent the Spirit to dwell with us and we can, we can rely on that. And we can find peace in Him. And one way we can do that is as we begin here in remembrance with the bread and the wine this morning. We can find peace in Him. If you don't have peace in Christ, you're still trying to live in the world. Um, you're, you're in a personal conflict in your spirit. Today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day of your repentance. Today can be the, the day of your rebounding where you've bounced off the world and you're bouncing back into the Scriptures. Today can be the day. Or you continue living the double-minded man, unstable in all his way life, and continue in frustrations and sorrows and sufferings that you're bringing on yourself. There will be sufferings. Sufferings brought by being a believer is one thing. Sufferings by your own sinfulness is something else. That's the way of the fool. Father, this morning as we pray and we prepare our hearts before you, I thank you for your goodness to us and your care for us and your long-suffering towards us. How you've shown us abundant mercy. And in all those things, it says we are more than conquerors. No matter what happens to us in the world or by the establishment of the evil ways of men, Lord, that you are above all, you control all, you're an authority over all, you are sovereign God, you are the Most High. And we commend ourselves to you for your care, for your discipline, for your love. We ask that you work in us, Lord. I, I pray that you will reveal to people their spiritual giftedness and what it is there to do, what it is you have for them. Lord, I pray that they'll be generous with their gifts. As we begin to break bread, Lord, I pray that we'll confess first those sins that are in our spirit that have kept us from you, that are keeping us from hearing your voice. Lord, I pray that you will soften our hearts towards those that we have conflict with, Lord, I pray for those that we are, that we have anger towards. Lord, that you would give us forgiveness in our spirit towards them, and that they would, and they would find relief in their sufferings. Lord, thank you for your goodness, Lord, and your care for us. Thank you for these that have come and have heard your word. I pray they receive it and go away glad. In Jesus' name.